Amen. Yeah, go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. My name is Jonathan. I'm the executive pastor here. I'm really glad that you're with us today. Um, just a couple of things. If you're new to us, uh, new to this church, we'd love to hear from you. There's a connection card in the seat in front of you. You can fill out and drop it in the giving boxes around the auditorium. Um, and also in two weeks, we want to buy you lunch. Uh, after the service in two weeks on July 8th, we do something we call First Table, which is just a first chance for us to get to know each other. Uh, you can sign up now, I think. Um, but we'd love to have you join us for that. Also, check out our website. All sorts of cool stuff happening. Sports Camp starts tomorrow. If you are one of the crazy adults, there's like 40 or 50 of you that have signed up to help with this thing, just know we're praying for you. Uh, bless your heart. Uh, we're glad that you're here. But it's huge things, lots of kids, uh, so we're excited about that. But today, I want to introduce someone, a uh, special guest to you. I've really enjoyed this barbecue evangelism series. It kind of stretches my thinking, stretches my mind and my heart a little bit, and I've really enjoyed it, and you're going to enjoy today. Uh, I want to introduce Yemi to you. Um, there's a fascinating little passage in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is sending out uh, some of his closest friends on a mission trip. And he gives them this instruction. He's sending them out to the towns that kind of surrounded where they were at the time. And he says, when you go into a city, look for a son of peace. And if you find someone like that, if you find someone who is an advocate for peace for the city, then stay with them. Like, uh, th that's the person you want to start with. That's the person that you want to begin with, this person who is fighting for peace in the city. Um, Yumi's a guy that I met years ago, and occasionally our paths cross, not as frequently as I'd like, uh, but more often than we see each other, I hear about Yumi. Um, there's only one Yumi in town, and so I hear about Yumi all the time. I hear about the community development that he's doing, the partnerships that he's working on. There is no better word to describe Yumi than son of peace for Colorado Springs, and we are so thankful that he's here with us. Let's welcome up Yumi. Good morning. Uh, that's a wonderful response. It is truly an honor to be here. Pastor Jonathan, thank you. Um, I was just so, I feel honored, humbled. Um, Puppet Rock has a special place in my heart. Um, I, many of your staff members, Pastor Thomas, Kyle, Jonathan, Rowan, Cindy, they're all dear friends of mine. Love partnering with you guys in the city, and it's a joy to advance God's kingdom with you all. There are also a few other friends, and Amanda, I'm looking at Amanda here, and um, yeah, hi, Lily. Lily's waving to me. And so there, gosh, I, I'm lucky to do the things that I do in the city and the people I do it with, and a few of you guys are in this room. Greetings from my wife and two kiddos um, to you guys. Um, I collaborate for the health, growth, and prosperity of our city. That is my personal mission statement, the mission statement the Holy Spirit gave me. Um, I get to work in, I get to wear a number of different hats. You know, one hat is a pastor. I get to do economic development, community development, entrepreneurship, um, um, co-own the Wild Goose Meeting House. Amanda was just a fantastic part of that journey. Kyle was um, part of that. So um, it truly is a treat to be with you guys this morning. And so um, as we dive into God's word, I ask that you stand with me. This is an ancient practice 
um, that we find in the ancient church, but actually this posture of standing up is an, goes all the way back to the Bible times of when God's word is, is being read, the people stood up. It's a, it's a posture of receiving. It's also a posture of respect for it is God who's doing the speaking. So our primary text today is from Jeremiah 29. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'm assuming they're going to be on the screen, but perhaps not. You, it's okay to use your phones. <laughs> no texting, but you can't use your phones unless it's an epic uh, tweet from me. But... Um, um, did I just say that? Yes, I did. All right, Jeremiah 29, um, verse 1, and we're going to read from verse 4 through 11. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priest. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those who have carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, and find wives for your sons and daughters and marry. And so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase there, do not decrease. And also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Lord, I'm humbled for the opportunity to teach your gospel. I do feel inadequate to deliver something of value about your good news that is so priceless. Be gracious to me, give me confidence in the power of your spirit. I pray that the seed of your word would not return to you empty-handed, but fall on good soil. Empower the disciples of Pulpit Rock Church to see clearly that we live in the light of the gospel, declaring its words and embodying its truth with our actions. Amen. Please be seated. Out of curiosity, how many of you in this room have been missionaries overseas? Okay. How many of you guys um, perhaps have know you have a family member or friend um, that have been missionaries overseas? Awesome. Wow, quite a few people in this room. So you know what, that's, um, what that is about. Um, so I, I am a Nigerian immigrant, and um, I moved to this country about 22 years ago, and I am a product um, and have... I have the blessing of, mission, of, of missionaries coming to my home country and bringing about the gospel. My parents came to know the Lord in their teenage years. My grandparents were not so fortunate. My grandfather, who I never knew, actually practiced the ancient idol worship. Um, so you, when, most of you growing up in the U.S., um, if you grew up in church, you probably had what you call Mission Sunday, where somebody was coming back 
from the mission field on furlough, and they spoke on that Sunday, and usually it was the least attended Sunday of, of the year. That usually was the case. And you heard them give stories about the, what it meant to be missionaries, and you probably sat there and you probably prayed this prayer, dear God, please don't send me to Africa. Um, <laughs> my wife prayed that. But the funny thing is I, I tell her that Africa came to her because here I am, I'm a Nigerian immigrant, and we adopted a little boy from Ethiopia, so she is a missionary to Africans. Um, see, I, when I say I'm a product of just a beneficiary of missionaries coming into my home country, um, there's a lot to unpack there. But one of the significant moves of um, the early missionaries coming to Nigeria was they actually helped stop the killing of the twins. The, so twins used to be killed. Um, the ancient Nigerian culture did not know what to do with this rare event when two kids or more were born. So they saw them as evil, they saw them as the devil, and they didn't know what to do, so they left them out in the bush. Um, animals came and took them. And what I, find, what, what I find interesting about the missionaries that came to my home country was how they came. Um, it's how they did evangelism. So um, in the late 1800s, mid to late 1800s and early 1900s, the missionaries that went, they were sent to Africa, literally packed their belongings in a, in a coffin, in a casket, and took that with them to, to the continent of Africa. Um, this was kind of a one-way ticket um, without, the, without the knowledge or, or, or the desire to come back. There was a deep commitment to the people that were being called to. Uh, they weren't just there to spread words about Jesus. They were there to stay. They were there to become part of the culture. So that, that's why they, 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 they moved with the casket, knowing that they're going to live there, they're going to die there. They didn't know when they were coming home. They immersed themselves so completely in their culture that they were sent to. They learned the language, they ate the foods. Um, the Scottish missionary uh, that was sent to Nigeria, Mary Slessor, actually the one that, end, that stopped the killing of the twins, immersed herself so much into the Nigerian culture that she gained the respect and the trust of the people and was, were actually able to make a difference and actually change the way the people thought. So my focus this morning and what we've been learning over the last three Sundays in this series is this holy paradigm shift from evangelism as just strictly speaking words about Jesus Christ to this lifestyle of moving in and faithful presence and being around the people God has called us to, a deep commitment uh, to the people God has called us to. And there's no better way to do evangelism than with food. Um, that's why it's called barbecue evangelism. Um, I heard there was actually bacon last week. Uh, I don't know how to top that one. <laughs> Rowan, well done. Well done. Um, the word evangelism um, is from the Greek word euangelion, translated as what we know as good news of the gospel. But friends, announcing the good news without a deep commitment to demonstrating the good news is no gospel at all because the gospel that we bring must be felt must be touched. There's, people have to be able to see it and taste it. We have a show me faith. Our good news must be demonstrated. For example, John 3:16 says, this is how much God loved. You know, God could have left it there as words, proclamation, but this is how much God loved the world, but he 
gave demonstration. John 1:14 says, the word, proclamation, became flesh and blood and moved, there was action, demonstrated into the neighborhood. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love. Demonstrate, but God demonstrated his own love for us. Um, that while you and I were sinning, he did something so dramatic as dying for us. And that's what we're here to learn in, in, today. And, and Jeremiah 29, our text for the day, kind of ushers us into um, this, this story of God's people um, in the ancient time and the ancient city of Babylon, the most famous city of, city of that time period, uh, with the most dominant military power. This people, this dominant people, took God's people out of their own countries, called exile, to be physically removed from your own homeland and forced to live in a foreign land. So King Nebuchadnezzar and his band of army took God's people, forced them to live in Babylon, and the whole purpose of exile was to ensure complete annihilation of the Jewish culture. And the Jewish people were to live in this foreign land, in this pagan society, and completely lose themselves. But when the Jewish people got there, they actually refused to assimilate. What's more is that they actually made their home outside the city. They formed their own little suburb. And there were prophets that were affirming this decision, these actions, the behavior, saying, yes, in two years, God is going to bring you back to your homeland. And then heaven breaks loose. <laughs> and the Israelites get this shocking and disturbing message from God through the prophet Jeremiah, not at all what they were expecting to hear. And in this letter, God described to his, to his people what he wants their relationship to be with this pagan city that they so despise. And there are three things I want to highlight to you that God tells us people that are very applicable for us today in Colorado Springs in year 2018. First, God makes this audacious claim about sending. So who took the Israelites from Jerusalem to exile? The answer is actually pretty easy. The, the, the text in verse 1 says, to the, the, to the, a letter to the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried from exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So we know King Nebuchadnezzar took the people into exile. But see what verse 4 says. Listen up. Verse 4 says, this is what the Lord God Almighty says to the people, I carried. Other translation says, I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Did God just claim that he was the reason the people were in exile? You bet he did. And to be clear that his people knew that, see what verse 7 says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have sent you into exile. So God is telling his people, King Nebuchadnezzar took you into exile. Social forces took you into exile against your will. But I use those social forces and I have purposes behind them. You have been brought into the city against your will. I know you don't want to be here, but it's my will, and it's my plan, and these are my plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future, verse 11. So I'm not sure how you feel about our city. Um, I'm not sure how you ended up here. I'm not sure maybe how you even feel about your neighborhood or your place of work or the story of what led you there or the social or economic forces that actually led you to 
be there. Maybe it's not ideal. Maybe the decision wasn't completely yours, and perhaps you're just waiting for the next opportunity to upgrade or move. Friends, God is claiming to be in control of his story. He's saying the social or economic forces that sent you to the city, that, that sent you to your neighborhood, your home, the place of work, these are not by accident, these are not by chance, these are not mistakes, it is his doing. And whatever the situation of the story, a circumstance that got you here, there he used it. And there are his plans and purposes for you. Plans not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That he sent you there. The biblical word for sent, sent, it's missio. It's the same words we get, we, we use for the word missionary and missional. And, and John Rittner, the pastor of Ecclesia Hollywood, did a fantastic job two weeks ago of reminding us that the entire purpose of the church, why we gather every week, is not for a great worship gathering, even though this is fantastic and the worship team did a great job. The entire purpose for why we exist, friends, is that we're the sent ones. We've been sent by God into the different places he sent us to. That's the first one. Next, God tells them, number two, God tells them to seek the shalom of the city. In verse 7, this is what it says, seek the peace and prosperity to the city which I have sent you into exile and pray, for, pray to it because if it, prosper, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray for it. Um, the, the translation of the Hebrew word there of shalom, we translate it in our English text as peace and prosperity. So one Hebrew word, two English words. And by the way, that does not do justice to what shalom means. We don't have, we don't have, a, we don't have a range of vocabulary in our English word to describe shalom. Shalom is as, as the, the, one of the most sacred Jewish words, value, that they, 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 they hold so dearly, it's hallowed. Shalom means prosperity. It also means peace as what we know it, but it also means thriving and all kinds of it. It means harmony. It means, it means prosperity and success and thriving in, in the social arena, in the physical arena, psychological, spiritual, all areas of life. For a city to have shalom, it means that there's flourishing and its citizens are happy. Neighbors are actually getting along and helping each other. People in the community are serving each other. There's reconciliation and unity among diverse people. People have purpose. People have, people have a reason to live. There's justice. There's, um, there's prosperity. Commerce is thriving. People have money. There's no debt. People are physically well and active. There's flourishing in every sector of society. This is what shalom means. And God tells his people, I want you to seek that. And by the way, in the book of Psalm, you see this prayer. It says, seek the shalom of Jerusalem. This is what they did in their own homeland. And God is saying, what you, want, what you wanted in your homeland, that's exactly what I want you to do in this pagan society. And then he tells them, pray for it. Pray. Because prayer creates a burden. And if you don't have a love for, create prayer creates a love for. Prayer helps our heart to break for what breaks God's heart. Friends, God's purpose for you is to participate and to contribute to the flourishing of the places that he sent you. What is the state of our city? What is the state of your neighborhood? What are the most pressing needs 
in your neighborhood. Now seek its shalom. That is what God is asking of you and I. And the third and final idea, and the point that we're zeroing in on with barbecue evangelism, is that God tells us people to settle down. I don't want you living as refugees or tourists. I want you to make this place home. This is not temporary. In Jeremiah 29, 5, 6, God tells us people, build homes. There's no greater investment than building a home. He says, build homes, settle down, plant gardens, get your hands dirty, invest in the earth, and eat what it produces. Marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and daughters and give them in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. In fact, do not decrease. I want you to make social and emotional investments in this city. You see, God's people had created their own little suburb outside the city, their own little getaway, and actually for good reasons. They withdrew, they isolated themselves. Kind of, we're going to tough it out for the next two years. We despise this city. Some of them were just indifferent or even apathetic. We're just going to tough it out for two years and be gone. And God says, stay for the unforeseeable future. Make investments. Social investments, emotional investments, financial, physical, spiritual investments. I don't know where you're at in your journey with how you feel about the city. Um, perhaps it doesn't feel like home yet. Perhaps your neighborhood doesn't feel like a place you want to live. Perhaps you're living isolated lives from the people God has sent you to. Oh. I get it. We, we work all day. We, we go, go, go. You've been around people all day long, and it's just kind of nice to escape to your own home and not have to be around people. But God is saying, That's not my plans or purpose for you. Perhaps it's saying it's time. It's time. It's time to settle down, settle in, make it home, make investments. It's time to be faithfully present with God in the places that he has sent you. One of my favorite books is called To Change the World. It's written by a sociologist, and theologian named James Davidson Hunter. His chapter on faithful presence is, is striking to me. Um, it's, it's an invitation to incarnation, and I know that's just a really fancy way of saying uh, to be fully present to the places and to the people God has sent us. Faithful presence. Faithful presence brings to the forefront the places we actually spend most of our time. Where is that for you? Where do you spend 80% of your time? Uh, perhaps it's work. That makes a lot of sense. Your office, your, your favorite cafe, bar, the gym, um, your home. And yes, even the technological spaces such as Facebook and Instagram. Faithful presence brings to the forefront of these are the places we spend a good portion of our lives. And faithful presence reminds us that we inhabit these places. 
And because we inhabit these places, we settle in and we settle down and we make investment in the places God has called us to. Mark 16, 15, it says, we are called, God tells the disciples, go into, go into the world. John 1, 14, which I read earlier, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. There's action. Um, faithful presence means that we're present with each other, especially those outside the church, and that we give full priority and presence and attention to the people God has placed in front of us. Yes, even our coworkers and that cashier at Safeway and the barista you see all the time. Faithful presence demands that we pursue them. We make the first move in the same way God made the first move with us. Romans 5.8, I read that earlier, that while we were sinning, Christ made the move and died for us. There were no expectations to return. He, he pressed and leaned in. He moved towards us. Faithful presence calls you and I to attend to the needs of the people and the places that we experience on a regular basis. And we do this with, through everyday, simple, yet thoughtful decisions that bring life and joy and encouragement to the people around us that they desperately need that. Romans 15, 2-3 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him or her up. For Christ did not please himself. Hebrews 13, 1-2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained of angels unaware. And by the way, the Greek word for, for hospitality in the New Testament, the Greek word for hospitality is called philosinos. Philosinos is a, it's a combination of two Greek words. Philo means love, xenos means stranger or alien. So when the, in the Greek New Testament, when it says hospitality, it's not the kind of hospitality that you and I experience on a day-to-day -day basis. This is a, it, it literally means the one who loves strangers, philosinos, the one, the lover of strangers. Faithful presence uh, demands that we take an inventory of the everyday, the simple everyday tools and experiences and opportunities that we have at our disposal and easily accessible the things in our home, the all things that God has given us for evangelism. Do you have a grill? Yes. You have milk, you have eggs, you have a front porch, you have a living room, you have a couch, you have a lawnmower, wheelbarrow, car, truck, running shoes, basketball. These are all things God has given us, tools for evangelism. And when God calls Moses, to the impossible, to confront the most powerful ruler. Moses was terrified, and as it should, should have been. But here's what's interesting. You know, Moses didn't feel like he could do it. Perhaps the, this, this whole call to evangelism, even, even as we try to break it down to the most simplest forms and these everyday tools that we have at our disposal, perhaps it's still terrifying. But God, God asked Moses in Exodus 4.2, 4, he says, what is in your hand? Moses responds, a staff. See, Moses was a shepherd. That was his everyday simple tool. That's all he knew. That's what he was familiar with. And God tells him, throw it down. And Moses drops it down and it turns into a snake. 
and then he picks it back up. It turns back into a shepherd. God takes this simple tool that Moses used on an everyday, everyday basis as, as a shepherd, and it becomes something extraordinary. And this was supposed to be a demonstration to Pharaoh. And this is what God is in the business of doing, taking the ordinary, simple, everyday things and making it extraordinary. You have things at your disposal that may seem menial or insignificant, and God is saying, I will make it extraordinary. Finally, faithful presence calls us to be imitators of Jesus and to model evangelism after him. If you ever want to know what evangelism looks like, read the Gospels. Jesus demonstrated clearly how he did it. Ephesians 5.1 says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're his children. Live a life filled with love, following Christ's example. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice. Christ lived sacrificially every day all the way to the cross. He was very purposeful with the people he was at, very present with the people God put around him. Exactly who are we imitating as disciples of Jesus Christ? And what are we imitating? I love that a big part of Jesus' ministry was a lot of eating and drinking, to be honest. He lived a life full of love that was filled, filled, with, filled with everyday people and with everyday barbecue evangelism. And Jesus had this special love for tax collectors. The group in the first century that were the most hated people, and they were the worst in the society. And Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and is eating and dining with him. And by virtue of Jesus' presence there, Zacchaeus is moved. And Luke 19, 9 says, today salvation has come to this household. There was no sinner's prayer. There was no four spiritual laws. It was the faithful presence of Jesus and salvation has come to this household. What a concept that as you go, salvation literally come to the places God has sent you to. And in Luke 5, we find Jesus dining with Matthew the tax collector. In fact, it says Matthew the tax collector and other tax collectors and sinners. And he was accused. In fact, Jesus was accused so much of dining and eating and drinking with people that the Pharisees called him out on that in Luke 7. They're like, why do you eat and drink so much with tax collectors and sinners? And in John 20, this profound statement that we hear from Jesus to all his disciples past, present, and futures, just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And the same way the Father sent me to do evangelism, it's the same way I'm sending you. And the same way the Father sent me to do ministry, I am sending you. Do as you see me do. And the same way the Father has sent me as I live, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God by showing hospitality, by eating and drinking with strangers and neighbors, I give you the same authority to do the same thing. As you see me do, now go do. Friends, your good news is tangible. Your good news is tangible. It's embedded in everyday graces of God, such as eating and drinking. Yes. Um, Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
that the goodness of the Lord would be shown by what people taste and what people see. Oh. Barbecue evangelism is an invitation to join God in the everyday things of life and to channel his continuing presence with us into the everyday spaces he has sent us. The essence of the gospel is tangible. Is that God became a tangible person in a tangible body, in a tangible earth, in a tangible home, with tangible people, leveraging everyday tangible things to advance shalom, to advance flourishing. Friends, this is evangelism. I moved to uh, Colorado Springs about seven and, seven and a half years ago to plant a missional church. I, I moved as an enlightened follower of Jesus Christ. I was hungry to make a difference. It was the first time in my life where things began to click. I understood that the, the purpose of the reason why I exist, the purpose of even of the church was that we're the sent people. I am the sent one. And passages like Jeremiah 29 began to make sense. And I began to see it all over the scripture. And, and I came to Colorado Springs with that imagination and that mindset. I was hungry and ready. And I, I remember driving a Pens Penske truck all night from California as I pulled into the city just past that welcome the Colorado Springs sign you see on I-25. And I heard a voice from heaven. I grew up in a Christian home, but I've never heard God's voice. I've heard people say that. I hear God's voice through prayer and through the scripture. It's the first time I heard it audibly. God's word began to click so much that as I moved, I barely even knew the city. And I heard God's voice say, welcome home. Make this home. So my co-pastor, Paul Ong, and I hit the ground running. We were, we were fired up. Our entire community was fired up. We were crazy and full of the Holy Spirit and began to do things unthinkable like inviting strangers into our home and caring for them like family members. But we're also inspired to leverage the, the simple things that God has given us to, um, to advance his kingdom. They weren't all just like crazy, but some of them were actually really simple. I lived, I lived off powers in Dublin at the time and I moved in the wintertime. I didn't know my neighbors, partly because of it was garages, you know, people come home, open the garage door opens, it closes, and you don't even have an opportunity to say hi. So it wasn't until summer until people started coming out from hiding, I began to meet my neighbors. And then we began to challenge each other at the, at the church plant, like, what if we did block parties? Well, I've never done a block party. Gosh, I was so nervous to go door to door to invite neighbors to come to a party that I was putting up, I was planning, and I did anyway. We invited people on Thursday, last minute, and people still showed up on Saturday. It was actually relatively easy. And people came together, neighbors got to know each other, people mingled, we hung out. And I didn't see it coming that the simple block party would lead to more opportunities. Then Halloween came, and then we challenged each other at the church plan. You know, Christians have to have the best candy. Christians have to be the most generous people because that's who we are. That's the God we follow. And just as God was, you know, bankrupt heaven for our sake, yes, there's a place that we get to bankrupt our checkbooks a little bit for the sake of others. So, yes, my house became the popular spot. And as neighbors came, I began to run into neighbors that I saw at the block party. And then later, some of them found out that, you know, I was connected to a church. I was a pastor. And I didn't see it coming. The lady that came to my home, 
during, uh, during Halloween with her children, and she said, I heard that you're a pastor. I heard you guys are doing this church that is just loving people. And she said, I have, I have a really crazy request. I said, what do, you, what do you need? She said, can you pray over my home? I said, why, why do you need prayer? She said, my kids and I are hearing spooky and weird stuff. And we learned after we bought the home that the people that lived in that house actually were witchcraft. Um, and there I was the next day at my neighbor's home praying over our home. And the home of people who did not even believe in church, who did not even like Christians. This is one of many stories that I wish I had time to tell you. Matthew 5. This is really important, church. This is really important. I want to leave you with this. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. This is the message version. Please read this with me. Jesus is saying to you, to each one of you in this room, he's saying these words, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings about the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in garbage. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing about the God colors in your neighborhoods and your places of work. For God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? No, I'm putting you on a light stand. And now, church, that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open the house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you prompt people to be open to God, this generous Father in heaven. This is evangelism. Ed Stetzer, Stetzer, the author of the book, Breaking the Missional Code, How Your Church Can Become a Missionary in the Community, this is what he says. It is possible to be a missionary without ever leaving your zip code. It is possible to be a missionary without ever leaving your zip code. Then he goes on by saying, being missional is actually doing missions right where you are. So where are you going after church? Perhaps you're going out to eat. Yes, that is your mission field. You see, summer is the most, the absolute best time for evangelism because everyone is out of hiding. They're out and about, they're visible, and they're actually more in your face than any other time of the year. Gosh, my prayer is that we get creative in giving priority this summer and being present to the places God has sent us and to the people God has sent us to. Finally, John 1.14 made applicable to you. The words of the disciple of Pulpit Rock Church became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Let us pray. Lord, I, I open by asking that your word falls on good soil. Now I pray it germinates 
it grows and that you continue to water it. Would you create in us a, a mind and heart that we live faithfully and fully present to the places that you sent us and to the people that you sent us to? Jesus, renew in us your heart and give us a new imagination for evangelism. But ultimately, our purpose as a church that we live our lives in the exact way that the Father sent you, inhabiting and moving into and pursuing and giving priority and full attention to our neighbors and coworkers and cashiers and baristas and others. Give us your heart of mercy and passion to love with no strings attached. Break our heart for what breaks, breaks yours. We long to see your kingdom come in our lives, in our home, in our neighborhoods, and in our city as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.